welcome to The Podluck, serving up bite-sized tastes of the best theology. I'm your host, Megan Westra. Grab a plate and let's dig in. All right, and welcome back. We are still in the preseason for season one, grounding ourselves in the conversation, what does it mean to be saved? Which will be the question that our 10 guests this season will all answer. So last time we talked about penal substitutionary atonement, and today we're going to talk about another atonement theory. I'll remind you that just like with any other area of life where you have theories and science or I think it's mostly just in science. Maybe there's theories in math. There's theorems. I'm not really good at math. Anytime you have theories though, that's the point. Anytime that there are theories, they explain something as best they can, right? A theory is not proof. A theory is not a fact even. It's a way of describing things, at least if I'm remembering my fifth grade science class well. So today we're going to talk about another atonement theory. And just like with PSA last time, we're going to remember that there's gifts to this way of thinking about atonement and there's challenges as well. This isn't going to be exhaustive, but it will give you some grounding for the conversation to come. So today we're going to talk about Christus Victor, which is a really old atonement theory, much older than PSA. And it's a way of thinking about salvation that says that Christ conquered the powers of sin and death. So Christus Victor, Christ defeats the powers of sin and death and evil to liberate us and draw us into wholeness, freedom, and life in the kingdom of God. So as you can probably already tell, if you put Christus Victor as one theory alongside PSA as another theory, Christus Victor is much more cosmic and communal. It's less about, have you invited Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior and live inside your heart? Which is a really important corrective. We do well to remember that prior to the Enlightenment, this idea of your own personal Savior, your own personal Jesus, wouldn't have made any sense at all. So where does this idea come from? So biblically, Christus Victor is emphasized uh, on the idea of covenants and on the idea of being an echo of the Exodus. So all throughout the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament, you see this idea that God is in covenant in relationship with God's people and that God is calling this people out to be a witness, to basically show the rest of the world there's a different way possible, a way of life that is free from oppression and domination of exploitation uh, and, and all of that kind of stuff. So Christus Victor draws on that theme, that this is a continuation of that covenant and that in the person of Christ, the powers of death and sin and domination are overcome and a life of freedom and equity and justice is made possible. Uh, There's an echo of the Exodus, right? That there's this uh, former way of life of domination and oppression that is broken in the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Christ, and that a new way of living is possible. 
We also see biblical grounding for Christus Victor in things like Ephesians 6.12, where the author, uh, presumably Paul, is writing that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, right? We're reminded in verses like that that this is more than what meets the eye. You also see hints of uh, the basis for Christus Victor in apocalyptic books like Revelation, where you see this cosmic battle between good and evil. Looking at the Gospels, theologian Walter Wink notes that when looking at Luke 17.33, which is a verse that says those who seek this to save their life will lose it, Wink notes that we must be willing to die to the powers of domination and injustice to live authentically, that if we are going to live true life, we do have to be willing to lose a life that says that domination is okay and that violence is necessary. And for many of us, that's how we've been taught to view life, that life is about making sure that me and mine are safe, right? That it's about my safety, my security, and my flourishing. And if that means that somebody else has to be oppressed or dominated or killed, then that's okay. It means that war is just and ethical. It means that Uh, the way that my clothing or my furniture or my food is manufactured or harvested doesn't really matter as long as I am taken care of. But what Wink suggests and what, uh, you know, a a view of redemption such as Christus Victor would suggest is that no, this has to do with everything. That declaring Jesus is Lord is about more than saying that I personally am saved and getting into heaven when I die and instead that a new way of life is possible and it applies to everything. Within the context of church history, this view of atonement was espoused by some of the earliest records of, um, of Christian writings that we have, or the people that wrote them anyway. Justin Martyr and Irenaeus, who both lived in the first century, both espoused a similar theory. And then about 100 years ago, Gustav Allen picked up the theory and kind of reinvigorated it, revitalized it in the early 1900s. He called it the classic view of atonement because of the strong evidence of this view in the writings of the early church and in the New Testament. Recently, though, people like N.T. Wright and others who have been concerned about the violent interpretations of penal substitutionary atonement theory, um, they've been popularizing this theory as well, kind of calling us back and saying, hey, we need to think about atonement in this way as well. Like I mentioned last time, even John Calvin, who we typically credit with this really justice-oriented, like penal justice-oriented Christ paid the price for my sins kind of view. Uh, Even he went to a Christus Victor kind of model when he started to consider the resurrection of Christ and the implications that the resurrection has on the life of the believer. So Christus Victor, not something that I heard of until I had heard of until I was in my 20s, but something that has a lot of grounding in the Christian tradition, and within the whole narrative of scripture. So not something that I can look at like one or two verses and say like this verse proves it. But if we read the the scripture, if we read the Bible as a an arc, right? If there's a storyline, if we think about uh, like uh, any great epic story, Star Wars, Harry Potter, the Lord of the Rings, 
the Chronicles of Narnia, any of these major epics, right? That there's kind of an arc and a flow and there's one thing that's kind of driving through the whole story, right? That the, the thing that drives through the whole story of scripture in this view is that God is unfolding liberation for God's people. That powers of evil and domination and oppression are being overcome and Christ liberates and draws us into a life of freedom and equity and justice. This brings us to the end of today's micro episode on Christus Victor. If you are enjoying the podluck, please take a moment to make sure that you have subscribed either on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. To make the podluck more visible, take time to rate and review as this helps us be more visible to others. I'll take time during the regular season to read a review or two. To share your thoughts or episodes online, share on Twitter using at Podluck Podcast or on Instagram using at The Podluck Podcast. To support the Podluck, please visit our Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to a Slack channel to discuss this episode and others with other people who are also wrestling with these ideas, and I'll be in there as well. If you have more than a dollar a month to throw at this thing, I'll send you some goodies when the season is over. But for now, this has been The Podluck. I'm your host, Megan Westra. Next time, we'll be digging into the moral exemplar theory of atonement. See you next time.